G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round three preview edition, jam-packed with footy goodness for you. Previews of all nine games, fantastic footy flashbacks. Once again, always look forward to that. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? Good, Rogo. Ready for another round of action, albeit with a little bit of a twist in the tail because of Brisbane? Yes, we'll get on to that very quickly. Uh, obviously, some uh, big ramifications out of the spate of coronavirus cases up in the uh, Sunshine State. Uh, fortunately, a bit of a role reversal so far in 2021 here in Victoria. We are pretty much COVID-free. Which means, of course, you can get out and about on the streets, no lockdown. And uh, I don't know about you, Finey, but uh, sometime very shortly, I'm going to be taking a little venture along the busy and uh, eloquent surrounds of Bridport Street, Albert Park, to a certain fast food establishment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Only one place, not just Bridport Street, but in all of Melbourne. I'd be going for my burgers and that, of course is Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. The surrounds are genteel, but the burgers are superb. And we know that they've been there for 80-plus years. I mean, what a fantastic heritage. The beautiful buns, the great meat, the succulent vegetables, all put together for the best burger, not just in town, but many believe in Australia, Rowan. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I'll tell you what, it's a beautiful suburb, Albert Park, a very desired uh, destination. But one thing I notice generally around the southeast of Melbourne is how nice some of the homes are. And I can't help but think, gee, that, that is a first-class renovation. And I think there's one common denominator in those renovated homes that I'm looking at. Do you know what that is? West Point Properties. I mean, there's no question when Nick Spartel puts his finishing touch onto one of his rebuilds or new builds, you've got the very, very best there. So West Point Properties, get in touch with Nick Spartels and you've got yourself the best house in town. Great sponsors of this podcast for a long time now. And we've got another great uh, partner of this podcast now, and that is Stats Insider. Stats Insider is a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis of more than 15 sports across the globe. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range and possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-game live and season projections, Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. In fact, I've written something this week on the Swans, which you can have a look at right now. While James Rosewarne from Stats Insider has also written a good piece on some of the defining statistical trends from the early portion of the season. 
everything is free to use on site, very importantly. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au. Plenty to get through today, so let's not muck around. On Footyology, Newsfeed. All right, well, we're starting with news, uh, which is football news, but obviously um, it's a lot more important than just football, and that is the current cluster of uh, coronavirus outbreaks in Queensland, mainly about the uh, greater Brisbane area, but uh, also some serious issues now looming with the Gold Coast, which until now had been uh, relatively immune from it. Um, Some weird stuff too. Looking at a story today, it says the Gold Coast holding its breath after a local tradie moonlighting as a stripper at a COVID-infected hens party at Byron Bay visited 11 potential exposure sites across the city, including an aged care centre, now in lockdown and surf life-saving titles. So um, that is not good news at all. Um, Obviously, we've seen big ramifications already for the AFL season. The Brisbane Collingwood fixture scheduled for the Gabba transferred to Marvel Stadium. Finally, it's all uh, beginning to get a bit dangerously deja vu-ish, isn't it? It is. We know that last year's season ground to a halt for what the best part of 12 weeks. If we now include Gold Coast in the mix, potentially as a side that cannot travel or has to be restricted in its movements from where it is, uh, I think we begin to have a compromised fixture. We know potentially, for example, that the upcoming clash between Essendon and Brisbane, scheduled for mid-April in round five, may well be turned into a buy and transferred to round 13. It starts to get all very tricky, doesn't it, Rowan? Yes, well, I was just going to touch on that. Uh, Obviously, Brisbane's first, uh, or sorry, their most recent home game has been moved, but the next one after that on the schedule as it was is against Essendon on April 17th. That's round five. The latest news on that is uh, there is some serious possibilities about another schedule change there. A bit more complicated, this one, than the Collingwood game because both Marvel Stadium and the MCG already occupied in that round. So uh, the latest understanding is that Essendon and Brisbane could well have buys in round five and their game could be moved to round 13, which was a scheduled buy for both clubs. Now, I guess considering that would be a fortunate and relatively pain-free switch as well, although I don't think either of those teams would be too happy having to take their alleged mid-season break in April rather than in June when it was supposed to happen. But that uh, first item I read out, um, some ramifications uh, there for the Gold Coast as well. So, you know, when we talked at the start of a season about fingers crossed, we really meant it. And, uh, you know, look, relative to last year, we're in a pretty favourable situation nationwide, I would have thought. But um, still, it's a, it's a movable feast and everyone's got to be vigilant. And when there is an outbreak, um, things like this start to happen. What, what do you think of the odds now, finally, that we're going to get through the bulk of this season uncompromised? Or, you know, is it possible we end up with a, 
another abbreviated season and shortened game times, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm beginning to feel less confident about uh, getting through unimpeded than I was, I've got to say. Yeah, it just shows how quickly it can impact on a city, on a state, border closures. And once we, you know, get into that realm, unfortunately, football becomes very much secondary, doesn't it? As much as we, from where we sit, our perspective, want the AFL season to be completed in full without any interruptions, we have to understand that uh, state governments are really not concerned about AFL football. They're concerned about the safety of their citizens. So it looks as though, well, it's a reminder as to how quickly this virus can spread and how quickly borders can close. I think we'd, we'd be naive to think that this is the last we've seen of coronavirus, say, in Victoria. Uh, you know, it, it would be a miracle if we, don't, we aren't impacted again. Yes, meanwhile, uh, a certain paper in this town running opinion pieces uh, slamming not just this state government, but all state governments for overreacting. Uh, unbelievable stuff that, but uh, that's a topic of discussion for another day. Uh, one thing we should discuss on the football news front, definitely injuries. I think that's been in a purely football sense, the big story out of the week. Uh, two clubs um, pretty heavily impacted by them and two clubs that can ill afford it because they're both zero and two. And I speak of Carlton and Essendon. Uh, the Blues first, some reports emerging on Monday, finally, that Patrick Cripps, whose start to the season has been less than stellar, it's fair to say, has been playing sore and receiving weekly injections to assist him onto the field. The Blues have come out and made a statement about that and basically conceded, yes, he is sore, but they were hoping uh, he would return to something approaching full fitness this week. So fingers crossed on that score. But the worries there compounded by the news on Tuesday that important pair, Zach Fisher and Jack Martin, both going to miss six weeks. Zach Fisher has uh, bone stress in his legs and he's been ruled out for one week. Sorry, he's been ruled out for six weeks. Jack Martin injured his PCL towards the end of that defeat against Collingwood last Thursday night. He's been ruled out for six weeks as well. So uh, two dashes, you know, certainly two guys that um, they rely on for a bit of spark and a bit of pace and leg speed, plus clearly their most important player down on form and playing injured uh, and a 0-2 start. Not looking great for the Blues, is it? It's not. And so demoralising for their fans. We'll talk about the other team who's been so heavily impacted after round two injuries. And you just feel for supporters of both of these clubs because it has been hard yards in recent years. And there was some cause for optimism for both Carlton. And uh, there's no secret for Essendon leading into season 2021. But early injuries are really demoralising, aren't they, Rowan? They certainly are. And uh, you did mention that other club. Let's get straight on to them. A uh, bit of a horror show for Essendon over in Adelaide last week against Port Adelaide. And that didn't end with just the heavy defeat on the scoreboard because three important players now out of the equation, all for long periods. 
Ruckman Sam Draper has the dreaded syndesmosis, the ankle injury. Uh, the prognosis on him is at the very least eight weeks, maybe up to 10 weeks. So there's half the season kaput. Jai Caldwell, who had uh, been among the better of the Bomber midfielders in the two games to date, he strained a hamstring and it's a bad hamstring and the prognosis on him is anywhere from six to eight weeks. And then Dylan Shield got uh, caught up in a tackle and he has a PCL injury and he will miss six weeks. So three structurally very important players, the absolute minimum return date on any of them, six weeks. Um, boy, uh, I tell you what, you have a look at the Bombers stocks there's not much in reserve. Um, there's guys already injured, a la Michael Hurley. Uh, they are really going to be stretched to the absolute maximum here. Fine, he got some tough games coming up. I can see the Bombers being 0-8 or something like that a few weeks down the track because this is the absolute last thing they needed. Yeah, it's unfortunate. They will certainly welcome back Dyson Heppel. Uh, the good news is that that back spasm won't keep him out for too long. And Jake Stringer, but you're right, beyond that, they'll be having to really... Their resources are going to be stretched, aren't they? And there's no question that this is a club under Ben Rutten that was looking to make some improvement this year. And the last thing they wanted would be, of course, injuries to key players. Draper, so much was placed on his shoulders. And now Peter Wright, the recruit from Gold Coast, has a big job, mighty big job over the next few weeks. Yeah, well, they've got some decisions to make there, What they exactly what they do in the ruck. Nick Bryan, of course, the young, uh, very promising ruckman, but he's had some injury issues too, and I think only just returning to fitness. Uh, of course, Andrew Phillips, a bit of a forgotten man. They do have him in reserve. And as you say, two metre Peter, but... Can they afford to take him away from a forward line that is underperforming and reliant to date pretty much on Kale Hooker, who is an ageing warhorse, it's fair to say. So not great news for the Bombers. And just one injury to finish off this segment. Um, bad luck for talented Hawthorne youngster Will Day. I was watching him in their game against Richmond on Sunday. And again, super impressive. He's such a, a cool-headed young man who... Uh, judges the ball very well, distributes it well. But uh, he got injured during the third quarter of that uh, loss to Richmond. Uh, we're waiting on scan results as we record this. But again, didn't look good. And the fears were that it was quite a serious ankle injury, which would probably take him out of the equation, you'd think, for at the very least half the season. So bad luck for one of the Hawks' uh, more impressive of the crop of young players coming through. Yeah, the, you're right. Will Day really is impressive. And gee, we've been hit by some injuries early in the season. Of course, we've got Nat Fife's concussion as well. It's been quite a toll for just two weeks of football. It certainly has, and uh, particularly in a season which has gone back well at this stage, ostensibly back to a normal 23 rounds. They do say it's a marathon, not a sprint, and already we're getting a taste of the extent to which clubs' reserves are going to be tested. 
All right, that is enough news for this week. We have nine big games to preview in round three. Let's do it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round three kicks off Thursday evening, Good Friday Eve, with that rescheduled game between Brisbane and Collingwood, now officially known as Collingwood v Brisbane, because Collingwood are the home side. It's been moved to Marvel Stadium at 7.40pm Thursday evening. Uh, Two great foes of the early 2000s, these two, of course, played in two successive grand finals. And some important info from Stats Insider. Last season, Brisbane were the league's least accurate team kicking for goal. However, according to Stats Insider's Shot Charting Explorer, the Lions are, in fact, so far this season, the league's second most accurate team from set shot situations, hitting 65% of their chances. Incidentally, it's Sydney who are out in front. They are going at 68%. How do you see this one panning out, Finey? Well, first of all, let's have a look at the likely ins and outs. Brisbane have been able to fly some footballers into Melbourne, so expect Darcy Gardner to play. Uh, also, Jared Berry, his hamstring needs to be assessed, but there's a chance that he'll come in. Of course, we wait for the injury assessment, but Oscar McInerney is doubtful, and young Pryor could be omitted, so... Gardner and Berry, if available, in for Pryor and McInerney. As for Collingwood, of course, there's no Jamie Elliott. He has a long-term injury, another one of these players that we're going to not see for a bulk of the season. So a good chance at young Rusco, who, of course, we saw in round one. He was medical sub in round two. He could make his way back into the side also, a bit of a watch on Thomas. Josh Thomas has had a pretty poor start to the season. And maybe Chris Main could come in for him. So they're the possible changes. Well, it couldn't be a worse start for the season for Brisbane, could it, Rowan? You've got two losses, including that terribly close scrape against Geelong, where a lot of people consider them very unlucky, given that that last decision had the AFL admitting they were wrong and there would have been no coming back for that from Geelong. So... Very unlucky to be zero and two, and now looking to really start their season off under normal circumstances. Would have been back at the Gabatoire facing Collingwood, but unfortunately, they've had to sit around here in Melbourne, unsure of their future, and now face Collingwood right here in Melbourne. So, a very tough start for Brisbane, and I think all of those add up to a sort of a, a mountain that's hard to climb and gee, to be a great test of their character. And if they come through on top, you'd have to give them full marks, but I can't see it happening, Rowan. And I'm yeah. pies. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I was just having a look at their recent record. The pies have got a great record against Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane has actually only won two of the last 11 meetings between these sides. The other thing about the Lions is they don't get much experience at Docklands as a rule. Don't play there regularly. And uh, I don't think their record there is terrific by any stretch. So tested for personnel. In fact, they've won only two of their last eight under the roof. Uh, Pies record there. There was a time when that wasn't great either, but I think it's improved considerably. So, yeah, look, I don't know if you'd even call it an upset, really, based on what we've seen so far, if Collingwood were to win. 
I'm just sticking fat with the Lions because I think they were very, very stiff not to win last week. And a win at Geelong is about as good as it gets. Um, so, yeah, look, they were terrible in round one, but they were pretty handy last week against a grand finalist of last year on its feared home deck. So plenty of reason to be confident. Of course, the preparation is a huge factor, but these are the sort of things on which coaches at the very least thrive, isn't it? Chris Fagan would look at this and go, this is a fantastic opportunity for us to show a bit of resilience and, and just make a statement that we're not going anywhere because we can do it under uh, duress and uh, anytime, anywhere that old phrase Ross Lyon used to wheel out for his team. So uh, I'm sticking with Brisbane here, but very, very marginally, I'm going for the Lions by six points. Give us your tip again. I mean, I'm going Collingwood by 19. That's a very brave tip, Rowan, because without Oscar McInerney, and that is a more than likely scenario, gee, they're exposed in the ruck. But as you say, character, time for it to be shown. So we'll see whether Brisbane has it. We've seen it in the last two years that they do. All right. That is Good Friday Eve. Uh we do have Good Friday football these days. In fact, not only one game on Good Friday this year, we've got two. So let's discuss them. The first game on the Good Friday doubleheader schedule is North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Good Friday, of course, become a regular event for North Melbourne. But yet again this year, talk uh, people... Um, mischievously talking about the Roos perhaps losing their Good Friday entitlements with a poor performance, which I think would be pretty unfair personally, but hopefully they can put up a competitive show. They've got their work cut out though, because their opponent is the Western Bulldogs. This game at Marvel Stadium starting at 6.20pm on Good Friday. Uh, Stats Insider stats before last Sunday, um, the Bulldogs win last week against the Eagles has taken their finals chances up to 77% according to the futures model. Um, the Eagles last week, the opponent the Bulldogs beat had won 35 of their last 38 games when leading at three-quarter time. Uh, the Bulldogs tipped that on its head. So great effort by them in a pretty important win. They will obviously go into this game a very warm favourite. How are the lineups looking, Finey? Well, while the other clubs are battling real injury problems, what a great start to the season for the Western Bulldogs. They will go in unchanged, I reckon. No injury problems, and you'd be a, a cruel man to drop anybody from that 22. What a fantastic effort it was. As for North Melbourne, some good news finally. Ben Cunnington expected to make his debut for the season. Young Jack Marty went off with an ankle injury. He was subbed. Aaron Hall came on. So Marnie not expected to play. And Dom Tyson really struggled. Only 13 touches in their loss last week. He may well be omitted. So Cunnington in and either Aaron Hall or youngster Will Phillips, who performed very well in a VFL practice match last week to fill the roles, uh, fill the positions made vacant by Tyson and by Marnie. Well, <laughs> how different the two stories have been for these two clubs. North Melbourne had certainly canvassed hard to get one of these spots in 
the Good Friday game and good on them. It's something that hopefully will be able to add to their bottom line, but one could not possibly see it adding to their bottom line of premiership points. The Bulldogs played probably the game of the season and for me, one of the best games I've seen in years against the West Coast Eagles. It could have gone either way, but they're, first of all, never say die attitude. Secondly, the indomitable spirit of Marcus Bontempelli all adds up to an irresistible side. You were very bullish on the Bulldogs this season. Your pre-season predictions have been good, Rowan, because everything you want to see from the Bulldogs has been coming to fruition. A forward line that is functioning better because Josh Bruce looks a better footballer than he did last season. Aaron Norton, always dangerous. That powerhouse midfield living up to its billing. The addition of Stefan Martin, a real boon for the club because what was at times a job too far or a bridge too far for Tim English is now a problem halved, a problem shared and working well and the back line holding up as well. Gee, they look strong, Rowan. They are strong. And, uh, I mean, thank, thank heavens uh, Ben Cunnington is coming back for the ruse because how um, mismatched would these two respective midfields be if he wasn't playing? Uh, it's like, in a way, it feels like boys up against men. I mean, the ruse have got Jai Simpkin, of course. He's become a real warrior for them. Uh, Jaden Stevenson been spending plenty of time in the midfield. He's a good addition. Jed Anderson... Uh, came back last week and performed well. But that roll call of talent in the Bulldogs midfield, and, and they're all playing well. You know, Bontempelli outstanding last week. Uh, Dunkley, very good. Jack McRae picking up his usual swagger touches. Liberatore was very good. Uh, Lockie Hunter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All firing, and it is such a long roll call of midfield talent. Uh, the biggest group in the AFL, I'd say also the most talented group in the AFL. How on earth is North going to compete with that? The issues, if any, for the Bulldogs have been probably converting their share of opportunities. But as you rightly say, Josh Bruce, um, he looked a lot better last week. Aaron Norton, always dangerous. And uh, we're still to see the number one draft pick, Jamara Eugle-Hagen. A lot of excitement about uh, when he will make his debut, of course, injured last week. We don't know uh, the ramifications of that for senior selection, but they have just got to stack too much talent. It's been an interesting battle between these two sides. They've um, swapped the last four encounters, actually, two each. Uh, the Bulldogs were pretty successful in the few before that, but you can't tip anything here but a very comfortable Bulldogs win. I'm going for them by 36 points. Finey, what's your tip? I'm going... Bulldogs by 57. All right. Uh, good. We've got the even odd number tip synergy happening again. All right. That's the first leg of the Good Friday double. Let's talk about the second. Second game on Good Friday. And let's be honest, not one that would have had much appeal initially, but that has certainly changed given both teams' encouraging start to the season. I'm speaking of Adelaide up against Gold Coast, 7.50 p.m. at Adelaide Oval. Uh, both pretty honourable defeats and both one victory. Uh, some injury worries, though, for Gold Coast, which uh, Finey will talk about very shortly. Stats Insider tells us that Adelaide are generating a scoring shot 
in 59% of their inside 50 entries, which is actually the league's best figure. It's even more impressive when you consider they've played Sydney and Geelong in those first two games. So food for four, <laughs> easy for me to say, or not, food for thought. Um, it is an intriguing matchup for anyone we weren't necessarily banking on. Well, let's have a look at both teams' likely ins and outs because actually Adelaide could welcome back a couple of players that did get injured in their round one clash. We know that Jake Kelly, of course, in that controversial incident with Paddy Dangerfield got concussed. I expect him to be back. And Luke Brown is also in the mix. He had uh, an ankle Achilles issue, but apparently not too serious. And we could be welcoming back Elliot Himmelberg as well. So some good ins there, potentially. The players likely to miss out. Billy Frampton uh, had his detractors in the game against Sydney just for ground coverage and body usage. He may be excused. Young Murray played his first game, but with a couple of defenders to come back, he becomes vulnerable. And David McKay, that well-worn soldier being on the list for so long, could be demoted as well. And as you said, Gold Coast have a couple of long-term injuries, and that's unfortunate for them. Connor Buderick and Sam Day both suffering knee injuries. Buderick has a natural replacement in the veteran Jared Howbrow, and... There's an opportunity also for Chris Burgess or Josh Corbett, both sort of uh, bigger body talls to come in. So one of those to take Day's place up in the forward line with Ben King. What an interesting game, as you said, pre-season. I don't think too many people would have been expecting much from the Adelaide Gold Coast clash, but with both teams enjoying a good start to the season. In fact, very similar starts to the season. One win and one not hateful performance in their loss, you'd start to look at this game with a different attitude. And I actually think that Adelaide at home, and they seem to really work off the energy of the crowd in that round one victory over the Cats, have got the right to be favourite and selected in this game. Gold Coast, good against North Melbourne, but I just think that Adelaide's exuberance, they're up and running. Uh, can get them over the line. No more, no less a reason than they're playing at home, Rowan. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I'm, I'm feeling a bit guilty about Gold Coast. I marked them pretty harshly on my predicted ladder and uh, a very, very respectable defeat to the Eagles in Perth in round one. And then couldn't have really been a lot more pre- impressive against North Melbourne last week. 59-point margin. You haven't seen the Suns win by that sort of margin too often in their 10-year history. So um, nothing wrong with their form. They are significant injuries, though, uh, certainly coming in key areas of the ground. Uh, their record in Adelaide isn't too flash either. Uh, they've played there seven times at Adelaide Oval for zero victories, and most of those defeats have been pretty comprehensive. I think Adelaide have really got their tail up. They won't be too disheartened by... Left defeat against the Swans. They were really impressive. Taylor Walker setting the tone. Uh, what about those forward 50 tackles he, he was laying against the Swans? His uh, forward pressure has been terrific. Um, some of those younger guys in the Crows lineup really starting to have some impact. And uh, they just look revitalised, I think, so far. I can't tip against them at home, Finey. Um Only narrowly, I think, uh, again, really don't want to discredit the Suns' competitiveness 
even without a couple of decent players. But uh, I'm going for Adelaide by two points in this one. What say you? Oh, that's a tight game. Yeah, Adelaide by 11 for me. All right, Adelaide 11 for you, Adelaide by two for me. All right, we move on to Easter Saturday. Very, very tasty menu coming up. Three games on the Saturday. Let's talk about them. Well, the first game on Easter Saturday is a cracker. Game of the round for mine. It's at the MCG. It's at 1.45pm and it is... Richmond, the reigning heavyweight, up against Sydney. Uh, I think the most exciting side across the two games thus far should be an absolute corker, this. Stats Insider tells us that the Tigers remain the kings of efficiency. According to their shot charting, are already leading the pack, having already amassed 13 shots from within 25 metres of goal this season. So that's a good reason for the efficiency. They generate scores from close to goal and they make them count. I can't wait for this game, Finey. It's shaping up as a real cracker. What info do we have about both teams? Absolute beauty, this game. I've got to say that, uh, quite interestingly, I'm going to Richmond, Sydney and sacrificing St Kilda Essendon. So... That says something about how I think of the game. So can I really swap? forward to seeing it. <laughs> can I swap? Because <laughs> I'm going to Essendon St Kilda and I can already tell I'm not going to want to be there. Sorry, do go on. Yeah, there won't be many changes in either of these sides. Nick Foston will come back for the Tigers. So who's going to be unlucky? I'll tell you what, Marley and Pickett played pretty well. He would be very unlucky to be omitted. Jake Arts has been quiet, but positionally... You'd have to think that Marley and Pickett's in danger. And I don't expect any changes for the Swans. And that means a couple of your favourites, Matthew Ling and James Rowbottom, who got injured in round one, still won't be playing in the starting 22. Or Will Hayward. Gee, they're in a strong position. Rowan, what a fantastic game this is in prospect. You've got the heavyweights, Richmond. No doubt that, you know, when they played the MCG, Everybody defers to their ability to win games and big games of football, which I really do count this one as. That forward line functions beautifully. Jack Rewalt is getting plenty of scoreboard at the start of season 2021. Tom Lynch is an omnipresent danger and maybe the most dangerous forward of all, Dustin Martin, when he visits down there. For what are now regular permanent visits, especially in the second half. The midfield structures beautifully. The back line works like clockwork. So how do you beat it? Well, Sydney has got a vibrancy that is irresistible. We've been sort of singing the praises, not on our own, of these three, now two gamers. We've got Campbell in the back line, young Errol Goulden in the forward line, and, of course, the big forward, Logan McDonald. So... You've put those three talented youngsters into a team that already has a burgeoning young group of young, talented players, and it makes for an irresistible clash. I mean, look, can the heavyweights be knocked out by the young up-and-coming challengers? I'll save my tip till the end of the segment, but I'll be very interested to get your take on the game. Well, uh, fascinating matchup, as you say. I mean, Sydney, uh, you know, they've never been a high-scoring side until this season, 19 and 18 goals in those two games. They're number one for scoring. 
as we speak. Um, the cast of, of kids just been sensational. And obviously those three debutantes uh, have been getting all the attention, but it's the continued development of the likes of, of Row Bottom, who hopefully returns for them. Um, even players who've been there longer. You know, Jordan Dawson now, a, a pivotal member of that side and such a great distributor coming out of defence. So um, just a, a remade side under the same coach. You know, credit to John Longmire for embracing a totally different system of play, really. You don't see that happen too often in the coaching world. Uh, the tests don't get any tougher, though, do they? And Richmond, not only are they a wonderful side by any measure, but um, I think it's fair to say they grow an extra tail being a Tiger when they're at the MCG. Their record there, absolutely outstanding. Have only lost once in their last 15 appearances on the G. They drew uh, early last year against Collingwood. That one loss coming against Hawthorne. Um, remember that Thursday night game, uh, upon resumption of the delayed season last year. But they are playing a far, far better brand of football now than they were then. Still not 100%. I still think they can get uh, plenty better. But Dustin Martin, um, in fact, I've written a piece for ESPN, which you'll be able to read later today, about uh, Dustin Martin's watchability. I reckon he's one of the five most watchable players I've ever seen in my football-going existence. Hey, what can't he do? And he was at his finest again against the Hawks when they needed a bit of an extra gear. And I'm sure he'll be similarly against the Swans. Look, I think the Swans will be very competitive, finey, but you simply can't tip against Richmond regardless of who they're playing right at the moment and uh, particularly on their home deck. So I won't. I'm going for Richmond by 22 points. You know, that part of me wants to tip the Swans because they've been so absolutely watchable and I'm using your word there, but entertaining thus far this season. But if you do, you're sort of saying the world's been tipped on its head and it can't have been tipped on its head by that much. Richmond by nine for me. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to the Saturday Twilight game. The twilight game, Easter Saturday, he said with an impending sense of doom. It is Essendon against St Kilda at Marvel Stadium, 4.35pm. We've already talked about the Bombers' injury woes. They're, of course, 0-2 and and up against a chastened St Kilda, of course. The Saints, not that impressive in defeat against Melbourne. Last week, Stats Insider, what have they got for us? Well, they tell us the Bombers are bottom three in the competition for mark, disposal and clearance differential thus far. Meanwhile, their 0-2 start has plunged their finals chance to just 17.6% already, meaning only GWS and North Melbourne at this stage are less likely to make the eight. Let's say they find yes, I'm a glass half empty man. In fact, my glass never has anything in it. But uh, I could have told you that the Bombers threw away a 40-point lead against the Hawks. Terrible last week against Port Adelaide. And now they're without a truckload of players. I don't think they've got a prayer against the Saints. What do you think? Well, let's have a look at the likely ins and outs. For Essendon, uh, we've already discussed no Caldwell, Shield or Draper. Hugely important all-centre square players for the Dons. Dyson Heppel, 
look, he's only really a 50-50 chance to come in. I was bullish about his opportunities or chances early in the program, but if he doesn't come in, definitely Jake Stringer to come back. That is a big plus. And we might see the introduction of Archie Perkins close to an AFL debut, or maybe Matt Welfie could come in as well. So possible changes there. St Kilda will be without Jimmy Webster. He went off with uh, a concussion and possible crack to the cheekbone. Turned out just to be concussion. But under that protocol, he's not playing. One player we know who will be playing for St Kilda, ready to make his debut after a two-match suspension because of an indiscretion off-field last year is Brad Crouch. So I think St Kilda might uh, give opportunities to some players who were down last week, give them a second chance and make only the one change. Look, this is a game that St Kilda would be desperate to bounce back in. They had to eat humble pie against Melbourne, really were bested for most of the game and deserved losers. And if St Kilda do have aspirations to making a serious run for this year's title, they need to bounce back and bounce back big time against the Bombers. I think they've got the personnel to do so. For Essendon, of course, it's all about character. I felt that they showed a bit in the last quarter against Port Adelaide, but boy, their personnel does begin to run thin. And when you consider that St Kilda does have now a pretty beefed up midfield, how serious and how costly are the losses of Shield and Draper, Rowan? It, it just impacts on a part of the ground where Bombers could ill afford to lose players. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's massive. And uh, that's the thing. I think Essendon will give a better effort. Um, I think that message has resounded pretty long and loud through the club this week. But... They just don't have the personnel to carry it off. I mean, you're talking potentially about having a first gamer in the ruck in Nick Bryan and a first gamer at his feet in Archie Perkins. So, um, you know, you're talking about St Kilda bringing Brad Crouch uh, against a first gamer. Jake Stringer, of course, he'd be a welcome addition. I, I think Nick Bryan probably will play for the Bombers. I think the feeling will be they need uh, right up forward if they're to convert any opportunities. Uh, Hooker can't do it all on his own. I think Brian will probably come in and make his debut and that'll be exciting. He certainly showed some promise pre-season. Look, I, I think the Dons will give a better account of themselves. I think Alec Waterman may be a chance to come in and give any, uh, you know, a, a more dynamic look to that forward setup as well. But yeah, look, St Kilda's got the personnel They've certainly got the motivation after a disappointing loss last week. Uh, can't do anything except tip the Saints in this one. And that's what I'm doing. And pretty comfortably, I'm going for St Kilda by 34 points. What do you think? I'll go Saints by Georgia Young, 27. St Kilda by 27 for you. All right. That is the second of three Saturday games. There's a cracker happening in Perth Saturday evening. Time to preview that one. Well, I said Richmond-Sydney game of the round. Really, I shouldn't have because I think this probably is the game of the round in terms of capabilities of both sides. It is West Coast up against Port Adelaide. Optus Stadium Saturday evening, 8.10 p.m. Eastern Standard time or summertime sorry uh, that is a that's a pretty late start uh, for a night game these days this is going to be an absolute corker of a contest Port Adelaide 
last time they played West Coast in Perth had a really good win. So they certainly don't fear the Eagles, even at home. Stats Insider tell us the Eagles are actually giving up a competition high 269 uncontested possessions per game. Port, meanwhile, has accumulated the league's fourth most uncontested touches, while the Powers' 35 marks inside 50 ranks it third. Uh, they have looked eminently capable. The only reservation I have about Port right at the moment, and it's not their fault, Finey, is uh, who they've beaten, which is arguably, at the moment, the two worst sides in the competition, North Melbourne and Essendon. Uh, some important personnel might be returning for either side too. To fill us in on the details there. Yeah, well, the two powerful teams, of course, uh, West Coast could have so easily been two and zip and Port Adelaide, who are two and zip, are going to be stronger as they face off in this heavyweight clash. Luke Shuey expected to come back for the West Coast Eagles. Jeremy Brander is also a chance to play. I'd say just Luke Shuey may be coming in for Zach Langdon. That's my prediction. Where for Port Adelaide, Connor Rosie is ready to go. Had a little foot surgery before the season, but he's right. The interesting one is Todd Marshall. Out last week due to a sore back, replaced by Georgiadis, who had a great game kicking four goals. So Georgiadis to stay in the team, but I reckon Marshall will play as well, offering some possible height support down back for that very tall West Coast forward line. And that means Bergman and perhaps Farrell to miss for Port Adelaide. What a game, Rowan. Uh, easy to make a case for either side. Both starting to get to pretty much full strength. And again, the question is, so often with West Coast Eagles, do they get enough service from their mids to give an opportunity to that big, tall, powerhouse forward line of theirs to bristle and get on the scoreboard? It's a really interesting game. Nick Natanui was fantastic against the Western Bulldogs and almost got his team over the line. But in the end, midfield dominance at ground level probably was what won it for the Western Bulldogs. And you've got to admit that Port Adelaide are pretty strong in that department, given that they aren't even considering Tom Rockliffe at this stage. Travis Boak, ageless. Ollie Wines, a powerhouse. Again, putting together the start of a very good season. And just so many of their troopers, their young players, are on the ball and playing well. Carl Amon has had a really good start to the season, for example. It's a really close, balanced matter, isn't it? And one that, I've got to be honest, I think is, again, as West Coast had last week, a flip of the coin. How do you read it? I can't. I, I don't. I can't remember the last time I agonised over a tip this much because I like both teams. I rate them both. I think uh, the form of both has been impressive. Um, I, I just. I don't know how to split it. In the end, I think, and it's a pretty simplistic measure, but I think I've got to come down to the home ground advantage. But then, even then, the last time Port played West Coast at Optus Stadium, they won. They not only won, they won by seven goals. So it's a ground that probably suits the run that they definitely have throughout that lineup. I guess key has to be the return of Luke Shuey. And uh, at this stage, we seem pretty confident he's back. Were he not, I think I'd be tipping Port. He's in the lineup. 
I think West Coast, you know, look, could have been stiff to lose to the Western Bulldogs, but uh, the fact that they did means that these they've just got to put these home games in the bank, even against quality sides. They can't afford to drop too many, if any, really. Um, we've, se- we've seen how, uh, you know, unexpected defeat has cost them a top four spot in each of the last two seasons. Defeat here wouldn't be unexpected, don't get me wrong on that score, but they simply have to win just about all their home games, I reckon. It's a massive game, this, even this early in the season. I think it'll be great to watch. They're two really good sides to watch, these two. I'm going for West Coast, but I really cannot split them. And I'm going for the Eagles by four points. (laughs) Eagles by three for me. All right. Uh, Gee, we've got some not necessarily the same teams. Oh, no, we have tipped the same except for one thus far. But even our margins are close. It is turning into that sort of season. All right, that is the menu for most of Easter. But, of course, uh, a couple more playing dates still to go over the holiday weekend. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. First game on Easter Sunday is between Carlton and Fremantle at Marvel Stadium, 3.20pm. Some really important news on personnel for both sides, uh, which I'll get Finey to give us a rundown on. Um, Interesting matchup, this one, the Blues and the Dockers. You know, incredibly, 2012 was the last time Carlton didn't start a season 0-2. So far this season, the Blues have ranked ninth for disposal differential, yet they are last for tackle differential and second last for metres gained differential, which raises plenty of questions about what they're doing when they don't have the football. Uh, That's very interesting stat provided by Stats Insider. Of course, been a lot of criticism of the Blues defensively, Finey. I guess a big issue here, though, will be what have they got to work with because they've taken a hit in the injury department, haven't they? They certainly have. Uh, We've discussed it earlier on in the program, but no Fisher for six weeks and no Jack Martin for six weeks. Patrick Cripps saw, but we expect him to play. So uh, the good news is that Jack Silvani is ready to return to the side and we could see the first of Eddie Betts for season 2021. Levi Casbolt, question mark on his start to the season. And gee, I think Oscar McDonald deserves to go in the starting 22 after his very bright performance as a sub in the first round of the year, of course, that game against the Tigers. As for Fremantle, well, a big loss for them due to concussion is Nat Fife. I expect um, a change there, but the good news, Michael Walters is available. And... They can also possibly look at uh, a a player like young Josh Tracy. He could get an opportunity. Griffin Logue also a chance to make his debut for the season. So they do have some options there if uh, they want to make a couple of omissions. But we'll just go with Walters for Nat Fife at the moment. It's a game that Carlton has to win. And I guess both teams really would be looking desperately to win this game. Fremantle bounced back last week after their poor showing in round one against Melbourne. But on the road, Fremantle are a different beast. We do know that. I was all set to tip the Blues confidently before the news came through that they lost important players, Fisher and Martin. So now the game needs to be studied a little bit more carefully. It's all about 
I guess, who wins the midfield tussle. And that midfield has been impacted upon. We know that Patrick Cripps is playing a little bit sore. Pretty impressed by the start of the season for Sam Walsh. And equally impressed by the start of the season by that veteran of all veterans, David Mundy. So thumbs up to him for his start for season 2021. It's another really close game, Rowan, and one that I think will be decided in the engine room. How do you read those engine rooms taking on each other? Yeah, well, uh, Patrick Cripps, we talked about his soreness. Is he ready to return to something like his best? That's absolutely critical. Uh, Of course, Nat Fife, just a massive, massive loss for the Dockers. I'll tell you what did occur to me finally. I reckon the Dockers uh, probably wake up having nightmares about the Blues after the events of their last two meetings. Uh, Both games lost by four points. Of course, the Dockers lost to the Blues at home in 2019 when Mark Murphy snapped the winner in literally the last 30 seconds of the game. And then last year, of course, Jack Nunes bobbing up after the siren and uh, ramming home that uh, fantastic match winner for the Blues in Perth against the Dockers. So it hasn't been happy, the history for Fremantle against Carlton in recent times. You mentioned their record on the road. That's not happy either. I've just had a look at their record at Marvel Stadium in particular, and the Dockers have won only two of their last 12 games at Marvel. Uh, You know what? I I was going to tip them just purely on talent. I think they were pretty impressive last week. But I think, are we are they starting to become the dreaded flat-track bully, i.e. a far more competitive outfit at home than away? I can't get the vision of their pretty inept display against Melbourne at the MCG in round one out of my head. They had a lot of players out injured that day. The Blues have got some injured now. But, you know, Carlton, it's a bit of a must-win for Carlton, perhaps not so much for the Dockers. I'm going to tip the Blues in this one. It sort of goes against my usual tipping formula, but uh, I think Carlton really need the win. I don't trust Freo away from home. I don't trust them at Marvel Stadium. I'm going to go for Carlton by 10 points, Finey. What do you reckon? I'm similarly vexed by this game, but I am going to lean towards Carlton. I think that Harry Mackay provides a really good focal point for the Blues. And, you know, I haven't been... uh, I think they've been fairly game so far this season. And I was really struck by how poor Fremantle was in round one against Melbourne. So the uh, the more trustworthy side for me, Carlton, I'm going for the Blues by 17. All right. We agree on the Blues beating the Dockers in Melbourne. Two games on Sunday, and the second of them comes at 6.10pm Eastern Summer Time. That is between GWS and Melbourne. And it is in Canberra. Of course, uh, the Giants can't play home games in Sydney when the Easter show is on. So this is their first appearance in Canberra for the new season. Uh, What are Stats Insider say about this game? Well, Melbourne ranked fourth for total inside 50s and second for both marks and tackles once inside the 50 arc, while they are generating a scoring shot on 59% of those entries, which is the equal best figure in the league at the moment. The Demons are now a 60% chance of playing finals. That is the fifth strongest finals possibility. 
according to season projections. What's the news on lineups for this one? Well, uh, for the Giants, expect Zach Riccardi to make his season debut, and that's a welcome return for a very impressive young big man. Sam Reid uh, is out for a couple of weeks, of course, for his bump on Nat Fife. So he's a good chance to be replaced by Connor Iden. Tom Green also a chance to force his way back into the best 22. And he could do so at the expense of Zach Sproul. As for Melbourne, after that really good win against the Saints, no change, Your Honour. Uh, Melbourne were impressive, Rowan, really impressive. You know, that backline duo of May and Lever has, I think from sort of halfway through last season, really got the sort of cohesion and understanding that makes that defence one of the best in the competition. It's a very hard duo to penetrate. One seems to be always confident in spoiling, the other going for the mark and playing attacking football. And they take it in turns, depending on where the ball comes into that back line. So a springboard for attack, one that Melbourne has been able to use well in the first two rounds, GWS disappointing. Their first game against St Kilda was pretty good and they really lost the sort of handle on the game against the Fremantle Dockers. That, you know, they, again, have to head down to Canberra now to play some football and it's not quite the home advantage that they enjoy in the west of Sydney. And it makes it tough for them to get their season kick-started. So all portents, all signs for mine point to a Melbourne victory. What's your call? Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I've actually just written a piece uh, this morning, in fact, about GWS and where they're at. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're not in a good place, I don't think. I, I don't see them developing. I think they're almost at that stage where they have to reassess their longer-term strategy because they're certainly not the force they once were. Overly dependent upon Toby Green, you know, the, the roll call talent. When you have a look at just how many players they have lost since the the salad days of 2016, and I know I keep saying this, but for me, I, I just think that finals campaign in 2019 was a bit of a mirage, which sort of papered over the cracks. They weren't nearly as capable a team in 2019 as they were in 2016, and the talent drain has continued a pace since then. Obviously, Jeremy Cameron, uh, among others, now not part of the equation either. And Melbourne, yeah, they were super impressive last week, weren't they? Doesn't Clayton Oliver get undersold, really, as a midfield force? I mean, it was just terrific against your mob with 37 disposals. Christian Petrarca been a great player for two or three years. Now, the, the other guy that doesn't probably get his just desserts in terms of kudos is Christian Salem. And I thought he was fantastic against the Saints and um, great user of the ball as well. Up for Keziah Pickett, he is so important to them. He is just an absolute live wire and and really is able to capitalise on those ground-level opportunities. And conversion has been a long-term issue for the Demons, as we know. So he's made a huge difference for them, I think. Uh, Max Gorn, of course, in the ruck, always supreme. I think Adam Tomlinson is starting to show some value for them. And Ed Langdon has already been really good value for the Demons. So uh, a lot to like about the way they're looking. 
uh, sort of starting to get back to that 2018 level, which we haven't been able to say for most of the last two seasons. So very promising for them. Canberra's a good test. You know, the Giants will be souped up because they were so poor in Perth last week. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm banking on Melbourne. I think Melbourne is the real deal this season. And I think this is a sort of game that they should be able to put away in reserve uh, with a good win. So I'm going for the Demons by 20 points, Finey. What's your tip on this one? I'm also going for the Demons by 13. 20 points for me, 13 points for Finey. The last game of the Easter round in round three is a long-time traditional clash on the football calendar. Easter Monday, that of course means at the MCG, 3.20pm, those two grand rivals of the latter day competition, Geelong and Hawthorne. Always a fantastic game this. Uh, this time, well, the Cats will be heavily favoured. You can rest assured on that. Stats Insider tell us that the Hawks, meanwhile, rank sixth for disposal differential and second for disposal efficiency at the moment. However, they are 15th for metres gained and 16th for inside 50 differential. In other words, a whole heap of empty calories where the Hawks are concerned. Uh, how are the lineups looking in this game? Well, good news for Geelong. Two of their key midfielders, of course, no, Paddy Dangerfield, expected to return. Mitch Duncan and Sam Minigola come in for Rowan. Of course, a two-match suspension being served by Gary Rowan. And Charlie Constable may have to make way as well. He was an inclusion in round two. As for the Hawks, well, you've already spoken about Will Day. Very unfortunate that he's out for a sustained period. But they are ready to include Chad Wingard into their lineup, and he's an important player for them. I also expect um, Jack Scrimshaw to make his debut as a full 22 this season. He was medical sub last week for Will Day. And the play to miss out, I reckon Ollie Hanrahan. Um, probably the small forward, the obvious choice to make way for Chad Wingard. Gee, they've had some clashes, haven't they, at the MCG on the Easter Monday. And whilst both teams, certainly Hawthorne at least, don't quite fit the bill in that uh, they enjoyed the marquee uh, sort of uh, billing that they had in earlier years of these famous Easter Monday clashes. There's something about Geelong and Hawthorne on Easter Monday that tends to ignore ladder positions and be a game in and of itself, much like Collingwood Essendon on Anzac Day. Look, Hawthorne were not terrible against Richmond. They were kept at arm's length, but they certainly were there in the contest. And against Geelong, who were ultimately successful against Brisbane, I'm sure that they've got the sort of firepower to keep them in the game for a while. But it's those inclusions for mine, Duncan and Menegola, that tip the game over the edge for the Cats. They finally, although not finally, but they get to beef out their midfield again. And it gets pretty thin without those two players. But with those two guys in, especially the long-striding Mitch Duncan and his beautiful long-kicking and ability to kick goals at the MCG. I think that tips them 
just over the line, gets them over the line for me against the Hawks. How do you see it? Well, I'm, I'm wondering, you often do wonder in a Hawthorne game whether Alistair Clarkson's got some little trick up his sleeve. I'll tell you this, though. The Hawks don't fear the Cats. Now, last meeting was actually down at Cadinia Park, and that was the first Geelong Hawthorne game played away from the MCG since 2007, believe it or not. And the Cats smashed the Hawks in that one. But three of the previous four games, which were at the MCG, the Hawks ended up winning. Um, so, you know, I feel like the Hawks' brains trust feel like they've got a pretty good handle on the Cats. I tell you, the Cats will feel like they've got a pretty good handle on the Hawks with Isaac Smith in the lineup. That'll be uh, an interesting, oh, here we go, grudge match. Got to throw that one in. Uh, of course, there's no grudge there. Isaac Smith's one of the nicest people on the planet. And uh, I don't think there'll be too much argy-bargy going on there. Uh, look, I, I think Hawthorne were pretty impressive even in defeat to Richmond last week. Absolutely impressive in overhauling a 40-point deficit against a hapless Essendon in round one. So um, I think they've been pretty impressive. What about CJ Finey? Um, I'm, I'm still working on pronouncing his first game, uh, his first name properly. I'm so embarrassed about that. But Giath has been absolutely sensational in the two games so far. In fact, he made Footyology's team of the week this week for his performance against Geelong. I think they'll keep the Cats pretty honest. I don't think this will be a blowout in any sense of the word. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if it was still a contest into the last quarter. I'm going for the Cats, but only by 16 points. What's your tip and margin, please? The long by nine points. Pretty close game, and I think they will get over the top in the finish. All right, so we concur on every game except one, and that is the opening game. I'm going for Brisbane. You are going for Collingwood. All right, that is round three, previewed to within an inch of its life, which leaves a favourite segment, Finey, the one where we go back in time and dig up some treasured and sometimes a little bit left of centre fantastic footy flashbacks. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Oh, that is great theme music. Always res me up for this segment. Well, Finey, I've done it before and I'm doing it again. I'm delving into my treasure trove of South Australian football nostalgia. No, I don't come from Adelaide. My family doesn't come from Adelaide, but I've long been a viewer of South Australian football. And this game is an absolute classic in any competition. So good that I actually ordered this off video and I now know the game very well. It is the 1973 SANFL Grand Final between Glenelg and North Adelaide, the last played at Adelaide Oval before the home of football shifted to Football Park. And what a way to see it off, Finey. One by Glenelg in the finish by seven points, but really only by one point, that last goal kicked after the siren. And renowned in these parts, at least anyway, for Graham Corns, that former Adelaide coach, former North Melbourne forward and renowned commentator on the game, taking an absolute screamer and then kicking from a tightish angle truly to restore 
Glenelg's briefly lost lead uh, about four minutes into time on. This is one of the great games of football. There's uh, several versions of this on YouTube, um, which I would thoroughly recommend, one of which is in colour. It's one of those uh, Winfield highlights packages with the footage in colour backed by a TV call of the game. Uh, excitement plus, who was playing in this game? Well, like I said, Graham Corns for Glenelg, but Peter Carey, who a lot of our listeners would be familiar with, uh, a veteran, well, no, not veteran at this stage, long-time Glenelg Ruckman. He played a corker of a game, kicked six goals for the Bays in this game, playing more as a forward. A small rover called Rex Voigt, he kicked seven goals for Glenelg in this game. Uh, among the uh, personnel for North Adelaide, the great Barry Robron, famous football name. You see him at his finest in this game. Another bloke, the late Bob Hammond. Uh, wow, what a quarter of football he plays in the last quarter, just repelling Glenelg attacks time and time again. And another sad story, of course, we know about Neil Sachs or Saxy uh, coming to Footscray and unfortunately becoming a quadriplegic in just his second game of EFL footy. Well, you get to see Neil playing some terrific footy for the Roosters in this game alongside his brother, Dennis Sachs, who is a burly full forward who features prominently in what is an amazing, amazing finish to this game. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes or a few minutes of highlights and a terrific call of this game too, which really captures the excitement. Let's have a listen to it. Robinson, Robinson's in the back pocket of the centre of the ground. Wayne Phillips sets himself a great catch to Collins, a beauty. Collins and fresh man on. Long, not long to go now as it goes down there, and here comes Colby on sheer guts. That's all he's got left as he angles it down. It's all North Adelaide in defence. The old forward line is shot, passes across there. Pass comes around the corner. There's only about three minutes left, a good kick. And there's Rebeck. Steady's, Colby's gone, they're all gone towards centre half forward. Up goes Freddie Phyllis. A brilliant problem. Here he goes, Steady's and Jonathan Ray is going to go off his boat. And oh! Oh, they're going to win this North Adelaide. Listen in your screen, he ran up and down the boundary line a few moments ago. He was just so excited he couldn't contain himself. If Plummer kicks this, North Adelaide go to a five-point lead, and we've had two minutes of time on. He's really cramped as he comes in for this one. Through it goes, and Full marks then to Barry Robin who got the ball down. You're then right. But throws the ball out in front of him. Carey comes after him. Bob Hammond again. Went without the ball. Sash goes down. Picked up by Marriott. Marriott hooks it up in front of the goals. He's caught! Fifteen minutes of edited highlight for this game on our Channel 9 football show, 12 noon tomorrow. Down towards the half board, Flake it goes pretty full sets himself and Carey! Has kicked one goal for the game, a great game at the centre after a slow start, but then got a heavy bump from Robertson, which took him out of it. Here's the big one up to the square. Right down towards the square, Sandlake, Tongs nearly, oh, that was a gazelle leap, as it's taken away there by Bonberto. There's a runner on the ground, Trickenzer's across there, he's got a player, hand passes on, taken there by Miller, who pops at the wrong time. Back it goes to Frederick Phyllis, sets himself right down towards the square, it goes, there's only about 30, 60 seconds left. Good marks. He's had eight kicks. But he's coming. There's the sign. 
since 1934, and it's only academic that Sandland has whacked through another goal to give him four goals three for the day, and you've seen one of the best grand finals for many, many years. Well, I, I can see why that is one of your all-time favourites, Rowan. You've got Neil Curley there, coach of Glenelg. That was only their second premiership, and it, it broke a near 40-year drought. 39 years previous was their first flag in 1934. And you'd be mistaken to think that with the likes of Peter Carey and Corns and other great Sandville players, that they were a powerhouse in the competition, but only a second flag. No surprise that Neil Curley was in tears at the end of the game. No, and they, uh, they went on to have a lot of grand final appearances for not much reward either, Finey. In fact, uh, I've, I've told you this story about Paul Weston, who was a great Glenelg player when he finally played in the 1984 flag for Essendon. He was in tears after that game because had they lost, I think that was would have been his eighth losing grand final. Glenelg uh, would time and again get to the grand final and be beaten by either Port Adelaide or Norwood. Uh, Sturt beat him a couple of times. Uh, they just kept getting there and getting close. Finally won back-to-back flags again in 85-86 against none other than North Adelaide. So <laughs> North Adelaide sort of became Glenelg's only uh, premiership. Uh, the team they could conquer to win a premiership. Now, fantastic game. Look, if you haven't seen this, please take the time to watch. Uh, there's a highlights package of about 20-odd minutes which you can view. It is just wonderful football, uh, even 50-odd years later. Fantastic game that I watch very regularly. All right, I've gone out of the realms of AFL, VFL, Finey. Uh, what do you got for us this week? Well, I'm taking us back to 1985 and a famous Army Reserve Cup game down at the old Lakeside Oval in South Melbourne between Collingwood and the Swans. And that afternoon, John Burke, a Collingwood Reserves ruckman, famously well, lost control, let's just say. And the commentary of Slug Jordan, Sandy Roberts, and Peter McKenna, a pretty good lineup there commentating the game, became part of footy folklore and ended, of course, with Slug Jordan's famous line He's done well. And included in this is not just audio from the game but also audio from John Burke himself telling the amazing story of how he had been approached by some of the uh, Collingwood coaching staff prior to the game with a bit of an ultimatum on his football career. Play well this week or we're going to trade you to, of all teams, the Sydney Swans. It's fascinating audio. Let's sit back and have a listen. I thought, <laughs> actually, when I was... Oh, he just oh, whacked oh, the umpire. Oh, no. That's unbelievable. Oh, boy. Well, That's this is sensational. That. The umpire has gone down. Now, there are a number of others coming up to talk to him. Surely we've got to get the Collingwood runner out here and uh, get him off the ground for a spell. Oh, he whacked oh, he's, He wants to be very careful because... Uh, I'd take him off now, the boy. Well, he's got him. I he's think got you've got to take the boy off. Very smart. Definitely. You've got to take off. the boy off. He's you've leaving the ground. You've take him off. Oh, dear, dear, dear. He whacked the runner now. Well, he's not a happy boy. I've never seen that. No? Well. Yeah, I've been around footy shit for a long time. And we invite you on the Army Reserve Cup and look what's happened. It has to be complete frustration, I would say. And uh, Well, 
You just... Oh, oh, oh look, he's going to punch the fellow out of the fence in the stand. He's oh. into someone in the stand. Oh, he's giving one too. Yep. Yeah, he's done well. Well, that's very silly. Do you think you're hard now, John? John Burke hasn't said this before, but Collingwood actually summoned him to a meeting a few days before that game. The lead-up was that I'd met with Collingwood, I'm pretty sure, was either on the Tuesday or the Wednesday prior to the Sunday game, which was the infamous game, if you like. And the deal would be that I'd either... I'd, I'd go out there and play well this week and I'd either, one, be promoted to the Collingwood senior, senior team, uh, two be offered as to be sold to the Sydney Swans. He'd spent four hours before the tribunal after pleading not guilty to the charge of kicking field umpire Phil Waite during the third... Burke was disqualified for ten years, later commuted to six, and he came back to coach Heidelberg. But that minute of mayhem on television will be with him for life. I've heard it many, many times. Yeah, you've got to get the boy off. I mean, I'll still hear that, you know, in a, a joking sort of thing, you know, no matter, you know, even when I was playing and... People would say, oh, you've got to get the boy off. And, and I just think sometimes, look, it's 16 years ago. How long do you want, you know, how long do I have to pay for it? You know, I was suspended from 22 to 28 years of age, so it's six years of my prime football career. So I think that was probably enough. You've got to take the boy off. Oh, outstanding stuff. Jeez, I love this segment. We're, we've only done it a few weeks, but uh, I think this is my favourite part of the show, easily. We love our footy nostalgia. That is, in fact, the end of this entire podcast. Thanks for tuning in once again. Um, hope everyone has a great Easter. Finally, quick plug for our sponsors, if you will. Uh, get yourself an Easter treat. And I'm not talking about Easter eggs. I'm talking about a burger from Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You'll be doing yourself a favour. They're the best burgers in town. And don't forget West Point Properties as well. Nick Spartel's the principal. If you're looking for a rebuild or a renovation in the inner southeast of Melbourne suburbs, they're your people, West Point Properties. And also, don't forget Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, simulating an event 10,000 times to best understand the range and possible outcomes, along with their famed pre-game live and season projections, uh, Stats Insider, also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing. Great piece from James Rosewarn up there at the moment, defining the early season statistical trends. Everything's free to use. Check them out at statsinsider.com.au. Thanks for your company, everyone. Like I said, hope everyone has a great Easter. Uh, enjoy your footy. Drive safely on the roads. And uh, importantly, uh, support us because uh, we could do with a quid or two. So jump on either to the supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you to Acast or at our Patreon page, where for a small donation, you become an official footyology patron and help this little operation continue to not only survive, but thrive. Or if the Tigers were doing the talking, eating them alive. Finey, I've run out of rhyming words of that kind. Any departing thoughts on your part? Well, I love footy flashbacks. I love the way the season's begun. And I'm going to make it an absolute trifecta because I'm heading out to Andrew's Hamburgers for a burger. So I'm, in, I'm on pretty good terms with myself. Beautifully done. Say good day to the two Griggs for me. 
Uh, that's the end of the show. We'll be back, uh, important little announcement, we'll be back on Sunday evening. Yes, the round won't have finished, but we have decided to preview the eight of the nine games and we will get around to, uh, sorry, review, and we will get around to reviewing Geelong Hawthorne after that is played in our midweek show next week. So until Sunday evening, we'll catch you later.